I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 288. And today in the show, I'm joined by Dan Johnson and Spencer Newharth to break down everything you can be doing during the summer to help kill a buck this year, including tree stand preps, summer scouting, trail cameras, creating access routes, and more. All right, ladies and gentlemen, wake, not wake, welcome. The word was welcome that I was trying to get there. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. And if the beginning is any sign of what's to come on this episode, you guys are in for a real treat <laughs> because today we're, we're kind of doing a throwback podcast. We don't have any big special fancy guest. It is myself. It is Dan Johnson of Nine Fingers and it is Spencer Newharth of the Deep Voice Clan. So that is who is with you today and we're going to do kind of a rapid fire, deep dive, 101, how to, all things about the summer, how to kill a buck during the summer. It's kind of how I'm framing this one because as I think both of you guys would attest in many cases, the success that we have during the hunting season, a lot of it isn't due to stuff we're actually doing that day that we shoot the deer. It's usually, in many cases, the result of lots and lots of work that was done in the off season, whether that was in the spring or in the summer or the postseason, whatever it is, there's a lot more that goes into a hunt than the actual day of the thing. So today I want to talk summer. We're halfway through summer, about maybe a little past halfway through the summer. So this is maybe like a get off your butt and get to work call to action for some people. If you haven't done some of these things, I know I've got some stuff still to do. Um, so Dan, is that a good plan by you? Yeah. I'm down for whatever you would like, Mark Canyon. And Spencer Newharth, is that a good plan by you? Same answer. Good. So I'm thinking we shouldn't just be we shouldn't beat around the bush. Dan, if you've got weird family stories, feel free to insert them as we go along. But we're gonna <laughs> <laughs> we're just gonna jump right into it. So speaking of funny family stories, I I'm in Montana and I was in the office yesterday 
sitting across from Spencer, and Spencer said he's planning on trying to keep from having kids for at least 10 years, Dan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at least 10 years he's trying to push it off. He's getting, Smart move. Yeah, he's, he's testing out some kind of like non-permanent um, tube tying or whatever, snip-snips type stuff, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, that, that <laughs> no <one>. comment. <laughs> would, so, would that be your recommendation, Dan, is to wait like a decade? Uh, how old are you? 27. Yeah, dude. You you got at least you, you can look at it two ways, right? You you can do get have your kids now while you're somewhat young. I mean, I turn I'm almost 40 and you can, I'm my kids ain't going to be out of the house until I'm in my 60s, right? So Will you even uh, make it that I, long? Say what? Will you even make it that long? No, no, man, That's I'll be question. in ICU way before that, but um <laughs> I did get a funny comment the other day that was like, Hey Dan, really love your podcast. Uh, you're the reason me and my wife have decided not to have children. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite a legacy you're leaving, Dan. (laughs) I know. I know. So, uh, if you could take one thing away from our, uh, from our podcast that we do together, it's that, uh, yeah, enjoy yourself (laughs) now. Wait on kids. Maybe, maybe permanently Uh, or maybe like have a kid. Or like a brother? Do you have a, any brothers or sisters? I do. Okay, man. Just be just be like the most kick-ass uncle you can be. Yeah, yeah. I am a really good uncle. I think that's why Mark has me on this episode to bring a non-dad perspective. <laughs> that is exactly Sometimes. it. <laughs> that is exactly it. That even today, Spencer tried to get this, Dan. Spencer tried to tell me he was too busy to do the podcast today. And I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> if I'm stuck with just Dan, this thing's going to flop so hard, it's going to make a dead fish on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. Thanks, Mark. I really appreciate that. I mean, that was a real conversation. So. <laughs> We're going to totally derail everything. Oh, that's not, so right. I see where stands. I stand now. Tree stands. Let's talk about tree stands. I think one of the <laughs> really going to try to focus now. Um, summer prep. One of the big things I know to some degree, most people are usually thinking about it doing is tree stand stuff. Um, Spencer, what kind of work do you do when it comes to summer stands? Do you hang anything at all anymore? Uh, I still do, but I'm largely hunting the same properties that I've hunted for the last decade now. So I know pretty much like right where they're going, um, exactly what I need to trim, et cetera. So it, it's not as much of a chore as it used to be or as much of a chore as it probably is for some people. But what has changed in recent years is that last year, South Dakota, where I primarily hunt, went to a September 1 opener. And so that really changed some things. Um, I didn't really have many stands that were great for like very early September. And so I focused on that a little more. And what I realized when I was doing that is that those early, early season stands are almost like the same stands that you're going to be hunting late, late season. And so it benefited me not only in early September, but all the way to the end of that opener. And so that's what was more of my focus last year and what will be more of my focus this summer. Do you take your stands down each year and put them back up? Or do you have stands that you just keep up there throughout the whole off season? Uh, probably about half of them stay at this point And then they get new ratchet straps when I come in for the first time. Um, some of them I, I won't even touch. Like there's certain rut stands that I know need very little trimming based on the, the tree position and stuff like that. And I won't see them 
from one November to the next until I show up again uh, at like 5 a.m. in the dark to haunt that stand and really just bringing a new ratchet strap because I, I feel confident that it's in the right location, uh, that I'm going to need to do very little trimming. And I, I just feel more comfortable not disturbing certain areas if I don't have to. And, and there's a lot of examples I have now of where I don't have to. Um, and, and I do do some public land hunting, but I've gotten more confident in my running gun setup that I don't have to get in there and and hang tree stands in the summer for a lot of the areas that I like to hunt on public land because I've gotten better with my running gun stuff. Yeah. So, so walk me through a situation where you do need to do some updates to it. Let's say you've got a spot, you know, you want to hunt there. Um, but maybe you need to either hang the stand back up or you need to at least check up on it, fix up on it. Um, can you just walk me through like what's going through your head? What do you actually do when you show up in July or August to, to reprep that tree? it, it kind of depends on what happened the year before. I'll take some lessons that I learned from, you know, 2018 and apply them to 2019 or, you know, whatever one season going into the next is. And one thing I've realized over the last few years is that I have to be more prepared for only having like one kind of wind for the best part of the rut. And I can't remember if it was two years ago or three years ago, it was one of these recent seasons that like what most people consider to be like the best days of the rut, like November 8th through the 12th or something, it was only one wind for five straight days or something like that. I think it might have just been straight north winds for five straight days, and I was not prepared for that. Um, so just working more to to diversify my rut stands specifically, or if that does happen where we get a whole bunch of north wind days and I move stands mid-season so that I have all north wind stands to to get ready for those rut hunts, then the following season I need to get them back to have some south wind ones prepared and that kind of thing. Yep, I follow you. So, so all right, so when I go in there, if I've got a situation like this where I know I've got stands maybe already hung up in the summer, I show up usually, I always say I'm going to do it in May or June, and I inevitably end up doing it in August. Um, so I show up to the tree. If I left it hanging up, I usually will check those steps that I have coming up. If I've got like the, uh, oh, I don't even know what you call it, those like metal poles with steps on them that go up the tree that are kind of ratchet strapped on. I'll check each of those straps. And what I'll do is I'll loosen each strap just a little bit because lots of times if you don't loosen the straps on those or same thing, this goes for the tree stand too. If you leave it up there without changing the straps, the tree keeps growing and then those straps are stuck at whatever tightness they were. And so eventually it'll get to the point where the stress on those straps can cause them to break. Um, or it gets to the point where you can never loosen them or get the tree stand off again. So every year I go on there, I check those straps and then I loosen them just a tiny bit so that it's not, you know, not overly tight and it's going to give just a little tiny bit of room for it to grow throughout the rest of the year. Um, and then I get back up in that tree sit in the tree stand and look through all my shooting lanes and make sure those lanes are still clean and clear that, that I had prepped before. And then if I had learned anything the year before, as far as needing to clear out an additional tree here, limb there, I'll do that too. Um, that's like what I end up doing to every stand that I left hanging up. I go do that in the summer. Is that in line with the same thing you're doing, Spencer, when you're doing it? 
Yeah, largely the same thing. Um, and at this point, if I am like hanging a new stand, it's oftentimes that I'm adjusting an old one. So there's one still up from the year before, but now I'm going to move it three trees down or you know, just to the end of the draw that it was in, something like that. So then it's it's really nice because you can come in really light um, with just a saw and a few other tools just to move one of those stands. But largely, it's the same process you just described. Um, and, and more and more as I've matured and gotten older, I, I focus on those ratchet straps more. It's scary to think about some of the um, ratchet straps I've seen from some of those stands that just stay up for you know two or three years at a time and and they're bulging and the bark is growing around them and yeah. to even get it out you have to like take a knife and and cut it because there's just so much pressure on some of those and so I've yeah. become a lot more conscious of that kind of thing yeah me too now what about you Dan you just heard me and Spencer described for our kind of stands that are hung maintenance now I know you don't have a lot of spots like that anymore you do mostly run and gun but do you have anything like that? Do you still do any kind of maintenance like that or, or checkup in the summer? Yeah, I mean, like like you said, if I do leave a tree stand up, it's just because I was too lazy to take it down after the season was over. So I try to get all my stands taken down like the day or two. Like, for example, this past year, the day or two after I killed my buck, I went through the property and all but two tree stands came down. Uh, the other the other two is because uh, there was other hunters on the piece and I didn't want to go interrupt them. So they stayed up and they're still there, hopefully. Now, I don't like to leave tree stands up um, because, I don't know, say this, all the stuff that you guys just mentioned, right? I'm kind of a, a stickler about like the straps and I try to get new straps every year if, if, the, if that tree stand stayed outside all year long. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, do either one of you guys do these two things because this is something i don't ever do when i have a prepped tree stand but i know some people that do which is put in a bow hanger and like a gear hanger and then tie a pull rope at the tree stand i know some people that have two hooks and a rope at every single location i just go in with two hooks in my pocket and a rope and do that every time i go up into a tree i don't have anything preset like that what do you what do you do spencer uh, I try to preset them as much as possible, but you'll figure out that like if you put it up in July by the following year, like a July later, those things tend to get like wrapped around trees and shredded by the bark. And I, I don't know if squirrels bother them too, or if there's like a, a crazy windstorm, they get wrapped up in branches that are hanging above your tree stand. So I, I'm a big fan of preset ropes to bring gear up the tree, but you are, uh, it's a pie in the sky idea to think you're going to put one up and it's going to be there for the next five years. Yeah. Uh, Dan, you probably don't since you're just not leaving stands up, huh? Well, you know, I do have my traditional major pinch point stand. I have my downwind of major doe bedding stand. Those are my two, I have two or three stands that I've kind of over the years, I used to be the guy who would go up and I'd put 10 tree stands up in a single weekend. And now I just, I feel like I'm wasting my time if I do that because last however many years, I haven't even killed a deer in one of those pre-hung stands. So those three that are, that are set up before the season starts are, are the fallback tree stands to where 
oh man, I'm not on a deer. I don't know where big deer are moving. Let me go to these three known, you know, basically historical trail camera data locations and then see what, you know, start from there. So do you do leave then rope and hangers at those spots? Yeah, those are fully prepped. I mean, I, I walk up, take, you know, take my backpack off, hang it, sit down, pull the bow up. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you what, I've been moving more and more towards, you know, same thing you guys have been talking about, like mostly run and gun sets, but the, like the main Michigan property that I hunt the very most of all places where I do have a bunch of pre-hung stands from past years, it is so nice when you can just walk oh, yeah. right in, climb up, sit down. Like that is a nice feeling compared to knowing you have to do all the work to get set up still. Yeah. If Dan, I had, are, are, if are I had you my own also, property... I do. I would do that, but you know, I don't. Are Are you tearing down those tree stands every year, like also as a courtesy to the landowner to make them think that you're more responsible or something? Like, is that something going through your mind when you do that? No, uh, she don't care. She doesn't care that much. I mean, I take them down because I straight up don't want that stuff stolen. Yeah. That, yeah. So that's that's your number one reason for taking down your tree stands. Yeah. Yep. Theft. That's a bummer that they have to worry about that. Yep, absolutely. It sucks. Um and that's and that's private ground. Yeah, that's that's crazy. I you gotta figure that stuff out there in Iowa, man. You gotta clean your act up, folks. Yeah. Um and something that I've started to do more though now, um, even though it's really nice to have it all prepped, the run and gun thing I'm doing more and more now, especially since I'm moving mostly to a saddle setup for my mobile setups, which does make it easier in my opinion. Um, so what I started doing this spring is prepping trees for the saddle setup. And I just thought I'd walk people through that real quick. Um, if you're using a saddle setup, or even if you're going to use a run and gun tree stand, you know, you don't need to go to a tree for the first time ever the day you're hunting. If you know, like, Hey, I'm thinking I'm probably going to try hunting this location, this location, this location. You can still prep trees for that without hanging a stand. So what I've done is I picked a couple places this spring where I know I wanted to hunt with my saddle. I went in there and kind of prepped it as if I was hanging a tree stand. I put steps up it. I set up my little platform. So what I'll end up standing on when I'm using a saddle, I hung my uh, saddle tether up in there and actually sat in there like I was in my saddle. I was wearing my saddle, got all set up as if I was going to hunt and then picked all the lanes I'd want to get cut, did my lane shooting and all that. Um, kind of made sure I had spots available that I could hang my backpack when I end up showing up to hunt in October or November, did all the stuff I need. And then I just tore it all down. I took my platform, took my tether, took all that, but I left the steps. So now I have a handful of trees and I'm going to do a bunch more in August that'll be like that, that there's no stand hanging and there's nothing like that. But I can hike in without needing to bring sticks with me. I can just climb right up those steps, put my rope around the tree, sit down, and I'm good to go. So it's kind of a nice in-between. It's like halfway prepped, but I don't need to have, you know, a bunch of tree stands hanging around. So... That is the one change I made this year that's been different than others. Um, and there's a spot I'm particularly excited about that I set up back in, I think it was late May or early June. That's like a, a little a spot between the swamp and there's a little finger of an opening of a field and then another bedding area. And there's this low spot in that opening that every deer seems, if they're going to come across to between those two areas of cover, they pass through this little low spot. And... um Every year I've had bucks pass through there and I have stands that are kind of 
on either side of this, but just a little bit too far to range. And this is one of those things, Dan, where we've talked over the years how, you know, you want to find that spot within the spot and you got to make those little micro adjustments. Um, yep. And I've never, I, in this case, I didn't walk the walk. I kept the spots where they were already hung because it was like, well, it, it, you know, sometimes it works out. And now this year I was finally like, you know what, you need to just make the move. So now I have this spot set up, which is, you know, 50 yards away from two other locations. Uh, but I think it's in like the right location right in there. So that's, uh, that's what I'm excited to try out this year. And, um, is, is, is another thing that makes me think about the next summer thing that a lot of people do, which is trimming shooting lanes. And I think even if you are the type that goes out there and you prep all your trees in the spring as you know, there's not, that's a good idea to get out there earlier and to do this stuff sooner rather than later. But the one downside to doing that is if you prep your hunting spots back in March or April, you're not going to see all the new growth that happens during the summer. So I still like to do my shooting lane trimming in August because I know that I will see what's actually going to be there and make sure I remove everything. So I'll be doing a lot of that in the next couple of weeks. This episode is brought to you in part by O'Reilly Auto Parts who are in the business of keeping your car on the road and also keeping you happy. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. I use the O'Reilly by me. It's right in downtown where I live. And the team there is super knowledgeable. When you got questions, they're happy to help you out. It's a great store to go into. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts, they can test your battery for free in or out of your car. And don't ignore your check engine light. Ask for O'Reilly Veriscan today, a free diagnostic service exclusively at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Need your windshield wipers replaced? Brake light fixed? Quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop to get some help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in the store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'Reilly Auto, O-R-E-I-L-L-Y, O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. There's always this debate, though, between shooting lanes as far as do you make sure that every possible spot that you think is going to be a shot is cleared out or do you go really minimalist and just pick a couple spots to keep as much cover in the tree? Where are you on that these days, Dan? I know we've debated this over the years. Where's your head at now? Right. So as we all know, like wind and terrain dictate where the deer are going to move. And so I, I feel that if your tree stand is in the right location, you're going to have to do very minimal, uh, shooting lane. Like 10 years ago, I was in there cutting landing pads. Basically now I've just kind of, I feel that the deer are going to move in these same areas every time, you know, 
aside from the rut where, you know, anything can happen at any moment. If you, if you put your tree stand in the right spot, the deer are going to come through, let's say two ways. Right. And I think that if you, if you have your tree stand in the right spot, you're going to have to do very little trimming. How wide of a lane do you try to have? Like, let's say, you know, that you think a deer is going to be, you know, on coming across this trail. Now envision yeah. you're sitting in your tree stand and then you're looking down at that trail. How much space do you like to have cleared when that deer's the trail? Do you have just a gap wide enough that you see his vitals or do you like a gap wide enough that you see the whole deer or do you like to have enough space that it can be walking and maybe you're trying to stop it and if it doesn't stop right away, you still have that uh, wide yeah. open shot? Well, what about that? It just it, it just depends because for me, I'm not necessarily a lane trimmer anymore. I'm more of a pocket trimmer. Uh, to where I can get away with trimming the absolute least amount of branches I have to and still stay relatively hidden. Like I'm a huge fan of, you know, trying to stay concealed up while up in the tree. So if I have branches in my way or in front of me, that's a good thing. Um, but when I'm, you know, when I'm cutting my lanes, all I care about is enough to get an arrow through. So I'd say maybe the size of a basketball. Yikes. Yeah. I know people, are, I know other people are like that too. That just like scares me. I just feel, yeah. I've had a couple times where that's bitten me in the butt where you, you, you just can't get them to stop in time or like the one place they're at is just off of that. I mean, that buck last year in Michigan, I mean, I had the biggest, uh, before I killed Frank, this would have been the biggest buck I would have ever had a shot at in Michigan, like a hundred and I don't know, definitely mature 150 type class buck that was at 25 yards and because I didn't trim this little spot, I couldn't shoot that deer. And that just is still haunting me now. Um, so I tend to go a little bit the other way than you, Dan. I, and this might be a mistake, I don't know, but it's because I'm just so paranoid about having other things like that happen. In the past years, I've had the same thing. I've leaned a little bit more towards, I want more space at the area of the deer. So in the tree, I try to keep as much stuff around me in the tree as I possibly can because of the cover. But once you get down to the point where the deer is going to be, I'd like to clear as much as I can get away with um, to give me at least a deer's length of a body to shoot. Like give me that, you know, four feet maybe. This is like a best case scenario. But if I can get away with that kind of gap where deer can walk through and I could stop him and if he doesn't stop right away, I can still get a shot. I like that when I can. I, I have not personally seen deer react negatively to that yet, but I'm doing that, you know, months ahead of the season. I wouldn't do that during the season. Um, right. If I was doing a running gun setup, I would be super, super minimal. Um, but if I'm terminal lanes in July or early August, I push it a little bit. Um, Spencer, what me, about, oh, well, what are you going to say? Yeah, just real quick. Let me uh, tell you an example or a little story here about for – five years I sat in one tree, lots of good movement, lots of good movement. And I, every year I, I trimmed all these branches out of the way. I wish, big, not, I'm sorry to just, uh, just, uh, to interrupt, but I just wish that when you say for five years, you sat in one tree, I wish that was true in like its purest form. Like I wish you sat nowhere, <laughs> but one tree for five years. That would, <laughs> that would be an amazing story. That would be. Anyway, I, I'm, I'm in this one tree every year. I had a stand in it every year. I had a stand in it and I trimmed all these lanes every year. I would go in, prep it, sh 
uh, new lanes, you know, I would all the new growth that was around there, nice lane. And what eventually happened was there was a clearing now, a, a, like a, just a big gap in the woods and the deer started flanking that position, either coming towards the tree yeah. too close and, and flanking behind or going way around, around it. So, um, I had to move like three trees down and kind of start that process all over again because they were, I don't, I don't know why it's not like they were getting spooked all the time coming through it because deer would still come through it, but it was like they didn't feel comfortable in this gap. And, and that's one of the reasons why I, I don't trim as much anymore. Yeah, I uh, I worry about that. I I I know or I think I might have taken it too far last year. Um there was a spot that I had had a really close call with Holyfield that last year I was hunting him and I had him at 40 yards but because of because I was trying to be minimal the first time I trimmed lanes and it was a really thick nasty bedding area and the first year had Holyfield at 40 couldn't get a shot. So the next year, which is last summer, I was like I'm going to get a good clear shot through here because it's such a good spot. There's so many deer that cruise through here during the rut. I, I can't miss an opportunity here again. And I think maybe I went overboard with it because it was such a thick, nasty tangle of stuff that to open it up, I mean, I had to trim a ton of tiny little trees out of there and I cleared up like a several foot wide, basically like landing strip through that thicket. And, you know, it was great for a shooting lane now, but I had a cam. I put a camera in there, and I put it in there in like August or late July, whenever it was that I did that trimming. I hung the camera, and then I left, and I did not come back until I hunted it like November fifth or sixth or something. And it was way worse as far as activity than I had seen in the past and expected. Um, that could have just been happenstance, just coincidence that the activity went down, or maybe it was because I had so much activity, so much more of a clearing than they were used to in there. Um, I might've, might've pushed it too far. So man, I feel like it's a balancing act. That's kind of hard to know exactly where that point of, of no return is, but you do need to think about it. Um, Spencer, what about you? My trimming strategy has kind of changed over the years. Um, I, I sort of learned that there's a fallacy with trimming, a bunch when you're hanging and doing scouting and doing your summer chores because you sit up in a tree stand in June or July and you're surrounded by all this green foliage and stuff. And you're like, man, I got a lot of trimming to be done here if I want to get a shot out of this thing. And so you sit there and you trim and trim and trim. And like by the time you go to sit there in late October or early November, it is just way, way wide open. Yeah. all those leaves are now gone so what i've gone to over these last few years is i will do some like very obvious trimming in the summer and get rid of like the branches that most certainly have to go but besides that i'll just keep a saw with me and i'll trim kind of as i go throughout the season because there's some stands that i will hunt you know september through november and so when i come in in september i have to trim uh, more than i would in october but if I have a stand that I may hunt September through November, but I never do hunt it in September. That is an advantage to me if I come there in October and I didn't do all that excess trimming for a September hunt. So that's why at this point, I kind of like to trim just as I go throughout the year. So 
Do you bring a handsaw with you in season or do you bring a telescoping pole saw? Just a handsaw. Like I said, I'll do the obvious stuff um, with a pole saw in the summer if there's anything that that certainly has to go or branches that I like otherwise wouldn't be able to reach that seem like they need to go. Uh, but basically throughout the rest of the year, I just keep a handsaw with me and, and trim on a need to do basis. Yeah. Even during your running guns? Um, yeah, because it, it seems like I'm not returning to the same spot very often with a running gun. Um, if, if I have a place that I'm consistently going with a running gun, I'll end up just putting a permanent setup there. What about you, Dan? What, what saw system are you taking in season? Well, you know, if I know, if I know I'm going to, uh, a, a stand that's already pre-hung or pre-cut or whatever, or I've been there before earlier in the season, then I'm, you know, I always have, I always have a handsaw in my pocket or in my pack. But if I'm doing a, 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 a straight running gun going in, reading sign, reading terrain, playing the wind, it's going to be a full pole saw in my, in my pack with me. And you ha- I have to have it. Yeah. I hate, I hate carrying them in, but I, I'm usually 50, 50 on it. If I know it's an area that's like, go, if I, if I'm very confident that it's an area that's going to be relatively open, I'll try to get away with just the handsaw. But six times out of 10, you just, you have to bring a pulse on there with you to make sure you've got, but then again, I hate having to do that in season. I try to, you know, being out there, having to walk away from the tree to use a pulse or something like that, that, you know, that's a disturbance I hate to make, but again, balancing act, right? So, so with all that stuff being the case then with those pole saws and whatnot, what about in the summer after you trim those lanes, you've got limbs and stuff sitting on the ground. Are you guys the type that take all your limbs and move them off into a pile or do you just kind of leave them strewn about where they're at? Um, are you worried about touching them, getting your scent on stuff? Like where do you stand with what do you do with everything after you cut it, Spencer? Um, for the question as far as like leaving a sense of a human being there, that doesn't concern me at all, me touching them or, or moving them around or anything like that. Um, lately, I've been doing this more where I try to like make some use out of them. And if there's two or three trails in the area, I'll try to make one that's like impassable. And at a certain junction where a deer can split off and either come by my tree stand or take the other trail and and not come by my tree stand, I basically try to cover that up anymore and and send deer my way. So I've been doing that more. I can't say that it's helped me, uh, but it gives me a little more confidence. I, I feel better about where my tree stand is if I'm then picking be kind of between like a spot A and spot B and they seem very similar. That's that's one thing that I like to do. Yeah. I've done that sometimes. I kind of agree with you. I haven't, I don't make a rule of it. I haven't seen it be, you know, 100% effective, but I don't, I do know some situations where that helps. Um, it, it, it happened, uh, this last September too, where it was like a really funny kick in the nuts where I had done that. I covered up one trail with all these branches that I just trimmed, trimmed that were full of these nice green leaves. And then some deer come down the trail and they go that way and they stand there and they eat the <laughs> leaves off of the branches that I just trimmed. And it that was uh, some great irony there. Yeah, that is funny. I actually, now that you bring that up, I had that happen last September as well. Um, but it was like, it wasn't a block type of situation. I wasn't trying to block a trail. I just tried to move these limbs just out of the way 
away from where I thought the deer would be because I didn't want a deer to go over there and smell it where I, I was wearing gloves, but still was worried about that. Um, I think I even sprayed a little nose jam just to try to make sure that they didn't smell it. Well, first thing the first group of deer does is they walk in and like saw these fresh green leaves in a spot they usually weren't and went right to it. So <laughs> yeah. What about, what about you, Dan? I don't really worry about it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I could sit here and go into detail why, but it's like I don't think about it. It's not. I I've, I've seen them eat leaves off of the trees that uh, I've cut down, but I don't. I mean, I don't worry about it. So let's move to something else that maybe you don't worry about, or maybe you do, which is: Do you do any? access or exit route prepping or trimming during the summer. I remember an example last year where you talked about doing that maybe. Um, what about now? Do you try to prep a bunch of stuff in the summer as far as how you're going to get in and out a couple of your core places or are you still just kind of figuring out as you go? Yeah, it's, I mean, for for a run and gun, I would say that I'm always thinking about it, always thinking about good tree stand uh, placements. It's like, you think about the tr- good tree stand locations first, but it's not, it's not, it, it's, it comes second. Like the tree stand location is second. The access route to that tree stand comes first, but you have to find that good uh, tree stand first, if that makes sense. So it's like one uh, a and one B type of deal. I, in the past I've, I don't know, cut holes and fence, not cut holes and fences, but cleared brush in fences, zip tied, uh, the top two pieces of bob wire together so I can cross it easier, you know, maybe take a crick in, um, nothing that's actually too physical in cutting and weed whacking and stuff like that. It's just taking the long way around. Yeah. In past years, I've done a little bit here and there. Um, like there's on the main property, the main Michigan spot I hunt, there's a, like a, two track that I kind of try to keep maintained that helps me get to the back of the property that I try to mow and spray on occasion. And then last year I opened up a tiny trail through a thick piece of timber that allowed me to circle around a food source with more distance than I used to have just because I knew from past history that when I came back at night after a hunt that I was too close to that food source. I'm spooking deer. So I shifted that. That was a good example of it. This year on a new property, I'm going to try to clear some ditches to use access, um, where there's like some nice low spots I could walk in, but they've got a bunch of dead limbs across it. So next month or next couple of weeks, I'm going to get in there with a chainsaw and try to clear some spots like that. Um, cause, cause yeah, I mean, to your point, Dan, it is a little bit of a, what comes first, the chicken or the egg, but if you don't have good access to a good tree stand, that good tree stand is going to be shit pretty quick, you know? Um, but, you know, Bill Winky had an interesting perspective on this I write about, and I, I probably talked about this in the past, but it just sticks with me. He wrote once that he does it the opposite. He'll find, like, where are the best access routes I have into different portions of my property, and then he'll wor- walk those access routes until he finds good ambush locations along those dynamite access spots because he believes that that's more important. Um, so he kind of goes in reverse. I thought that was... Interesting. I've not done that, but I definitely think about it more. Spencer, do you do any summer access or exit prep? No, um, very, very little because most of what I hunt is river bottom that has irregular flooding. And so it's hard to plan for anything when a flood may come in and just 
bring all kinds of timber or wipe out trees or add new low spots that weren't there before. So it's hard to plan for that. Some neighbors in the area used to do some like massive, massive work every off season where they'd bring in a skid loader and they'd open up areas and try to improve bedding and, and do some stuff like that and remove old trees. But they got so deterred from the flooding that they just stopped doing it. They, they were motivated. Um, they had the equipment. They, they wanted to make the property better. But the flooding that happened every year just erased all of their work. And so I, I do very, very little when it comes to anything like that. Interesting. Another thing people do during the summer um, that I, and this kind of ties back to setting up hunting locations. I've tried to do a little bit more of this. I can't say I'm doing it at every stand that I set before the season. Um, but I heard this referred to by someone once as, uh, oh gosh, now I'm going to forget what it's called, like sweeteners or calling, calling cards. Or I don't know what the hell it is. Basically adding a little extra feature to a hunting location to get a buck to stop. And that the, the most common one that I've ever done is creating a mock scrape or positioning a licking branch in front of a tree stand. Not because you think that's going to be the thing that draws a deer to your tree stand is going to give you a shot, but it's a situation like if you have a stand set or if you know you're going to hunt a spot and you believe a buck's going to come through there for one reason or another, if you position a mock scrape in one of those shooting lanes that you have prepped, You've got a maybe a one percent better chance that if that buck does what you thought he was going to do, now you can get him to stop right where you want him to. Because if he passes by, he might see that and stop and give you the two seconds you need to get a shot. I do that a little bit in the summer now, I'm trying to do more and more of that. Just a little tiny thing to help. Have either one of you guys tried that? No, I don't think so. I, I like to use scrapes around my tree stands, but I guess it's not something that I'm thinking about in the summer very much. Something I might, you know put in in early October, but not really in, in July right underneath the tree stand. See, I, th I think it's, I think it's something that like opening up the scrape, you know, I'm not going to worry about that in July, but making sure there's a licking branch in position so that, you know, when you are there in October, I think having those little things there, I'm, I'm finding more and more just gives me that, you know, just a little tiny better chance. And I'm now finding especially locations that have hunted in the past and are set up like we talked about these year after year spots every year i'm trying to find a little thing i can tweak to make it just a tiny bit better so in one spot i did that in another spot i put in just a little bucket for a little tiny water hole again maybe this will get a, a deer to to stop for three seconds and give me that shot um if you've got the time in the summer and you have these locations you know you're going to hunt um and it's a good spot i don't think it's a bad idea to try to find just those little tiny things you can add to maybe give yourself a little bit better chance um since there's so many tiny little variables that go into every one of these hunts i think anything you can do to give yourself a little bit of an edge is is worth trying um have you thought about putting a high fence around your property Mark? <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> that sure that sure would get them get them running by your stand consistently that would get them running by my stand that that's outside of my uh, typical uh, st strategy uh but it's an interesting one um that might be a conversation for another day from <laughs> what you've seen on that side but um <laughs> are there anything else that you guys are doing to prep a location at all like we talked about hanging stands chairman lanes little sweetening the deal a little bit making sure there's a good access route in and out putting up ropes putting up gear hangers Anything else you do in the summer to prep locations that I've missed? 
I think, I mean, the older I get, the more minimal everything becomes for me. Yeah. Um, so with that being the case, then what about scouting stuff in the summer? Um, velvet. We love seeing velvet bucks. Do you guys spend much time or put any merit in trying to see bucks in the fields in the summer? Man, most of my, uh, most of the fields that are what I would consider food sources in the summer are just so big and hard to get to that. Yeah, they're going to be out there, but they're going to be in a low spot feeding that I can't see from the road. Um, I don't have the time to go do what I used to do. And that was go, you know, creep into a bean field with my binos and sit there until they would pop out. You know, I don't, I don't do that anymore. Um, so, you know, my scouting these days is just trail cameras mostly. Yeah, man, I, I feel I have the same issue myself. I love getting out there and watching bucks in the summer. Like that's one of my very favorite things to do is to watch a bachelor group of velvet bucks come out into a field and feed in the evening. Um, but it's the time thing that's been the struggle for me. Like the evenings are so family dedicated now that it's hard to get away and do that. But uh, but I do still try to do a bit, um, at least when I'm trying to tell like, you know, in past years when there's some specific bucks I was after, I was trying to just determine like, is this deer still alive? I would try to do drive around a lot. I do like deer drives and try to just check all the fields in that general area. The last half hour of daylight is as many nights as I could get away. You know, I'm not patterning a deer. I'm not getting any intel that's really going to help me hunt that buck. But I just want to know, is that buck alive and still in the general area? So that then all the other work I might do or the other digital scouting or thinking and planning, at least I know if that buck is around and will probably be back on my property in the fall. Um, so I do that. Um, now, Spencer, you're in a little bit of a unique situation because you now, well, you used to live in South Dakota, but South Dakota season opened up early last year. You were in a position where uh, you could hunt right you know, basically at the very end of the summer, beginning of September. Uh, where, where are you at these days with summer glassing? You know, Montana has a September opener too. So are you putting some, some energy into that? Uh, not specifically in Montana, no, because I would prefer to use that deer tag in Montana that I have on a mule deer, ideally. Uh, yeah. I always forget that. Yeah. But in South Dakota, um, previously, I, I didn't, I was not concerned about what the deer were really doing in the summer, but because by the time archery season opened in late September, all that information was no longer relevant because those deer were off their summer patterns. For the most part, the bachelor groups were broken up. They were out of velvet. Um, food sources had changed. So I could put in all this effort in July and August and September and you know figure out what these deer are doing. But by the time late September came around, it didn't matter. And so last year when South Dakota moved up to that September 1st opener, uh, it, it like gave me a new energy for summer scouting. And I once a week I was watching bean fields or two times a week sometimes. And I had way more trail cameras up. Uh, and I was thinking, you know, way more about what are these deer doing in late July? Because it finally matters. They might be doing the same thing in early September. So I, I think that it largely depends on when you're available to hunt. If you're someone who maybe doesn't even get out until, you know, it's just time for the rut at the end of October, beginning of November, summer scouting seems pretty pointless unless you just want to like identify some deer in the area. Or if you are hunting like that late September, uh, 
like I said, most of that information doesn't matter that you're getting throughout the summer. Yeah, very true. But it's, it is a lot of fun. And I will say for people that if you are in that situation where you have the early September opener, or even if not, if you like, like me, if you just want to know what bucks made it, or even, you know, another thing, or another reason I've done this in the past is that when I'm hunting a new area and just trying to get a better understanding of what the quality buck is in the area, like if I'm trying to find a spot to hunt in Ohio, I've gone down and checked out different little regions and then plan on having a night or two to just do a deer drive. So when I say a deer drive, driving back roads, looking at fields, that just can help give you a really good quick snapshot of what are we, what's available around here, what quality of deer, what age class of deer. I don't know of a better quick way to do that. Um, so I would say a couple things to keep in mind if you want to do that. If you were going to do the drive-by thing, it's always better if you see a group of bucks, uh, don't slam on your brakes. Lots of times I'll just keep driving and then I'll turn around and just try to come back and stop the vehicle just at the edge where you can see them, but not like wide open view. So they, you know, see you and spook off. That's one thing I've tried to do that helps just be able to watch deer for a little bit longer time. Um, another thing is whether you're doing this from your vehicle or if you're actually going to sneak into a spot, um, you know, hike in and try to watch a bean field way in the back deer act the same way in the summer as they do during hunting season and that cold fronts and stuff like that impact them still. So if I've got like one night during the week that I'm going to try to get out and do one of these deer drives, or I'm going to try to sneak out and watch a bean field, I'll try to time it. If there's going to be a cold front coming through or a little bit of rain or something, I'm going to try to be efficient with my time and, and that's a good way to do it. And then the last thing is if you're going to sneak back and glass a field, think like you're hunting. So think about the wind. Think about your access. All the same stuff that'll spook a deer during the hunting season will spook a deer in the summer. And if you're trying to see those deer to learn something, uh, you know, spooking them with your wind as you hike in is, is obviously self-defeating. So just, you know, pay a little attention to those details even during the summer if you're trying to get that information. Um, so all that said, that gets to trail cameras. I run trail cameras now in the summer, mostly just to see what bucks are in the area, what bucks made it. And that's, that's kind of it. It's just a fun thing. And then I want to know, okay, what do I possibly have here to work with? But I know that there's like a 50, 50 chance that a buck that shows up on camera in the summer might not be there in the fall. So I still run cameras knowing that because it gives me like a ballpark idea. Um, Dan, where's your head at there? Man, I think we talked about this on a previous podcast, man. Um, you know, summer, I, I just got my trail cameras out. Like typically I like to have them out when I, I put them out when I go turkey hunting because I just find a lots of enjoyment of watching antlers develop over a period of time. That's, I just get a real kick out of that. But like Spencer said, the information that you're getting in the summertime necessarily isn't what's going to hold true come the actual hunting season. So for me, trail cameras in the summer are, uh, Hey, look at cool velvet picks and okay. This buck has returned and educating myself on their characteristics to know if this buck is a shooter. So for me, uh, I can relate that back to this past year where all I had to do was take a real quick, like half a second, look at the deer, identify his rack, He's a, he's a five-year-old shooter. And that's, that's how, you know, I don't need to put my binos up. I don't yeah. need to do any extra movement. I've identified him. He's now, it's now goes to kill mode. Yeah. So it's all that education before. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. It's a small thing, but I think that if you're able to study pictures of a buck well ahead of time and think through, okay, I think this buck's definitely mature, you know, all those stuff. If you're able to make that decision in August and then not have to worry about your mind racing through all that on November 1st when the deer is approaching, that, you know, two seconds of mind time can make a big difference. Um, so that is a very good point that summer pictures are worth it if for no other reason, just to try to have that lined up. And even though maybe, you know, three out of the four bucks, maybe that you identify on camera, aren't going to maybe be there during hunting season or two out of the four or whatever, I'd rather know than not. So that the situation arises, you're, you're ready for it. Um, do you, do you, do you fall in the same place, Spencer? <laughs> Once South Dakota moved up to this September one opener, then I was like totally invested in summertime trail cameras. Whereas before that, I didn't do much of it. I enjoyed it. I loved seeing the pictures and stuff. But like I said before, just not much of it was relevant and it was never going to like actually help me kill a deer. But when we moved up to that September 1st opener, um, I was all in. I had cameras out in mid-June. Uh, I started taking advantage of, of you know some of the South Dakota laws that allow baiting, for example, you can bait up until August 15th, but you cannot bait, utilize, or maintain uh, like any kind of mineral station after that. So I, I would get these cameras up in, in well-traveled areas and I'd start bait piles and I'd maintain them, you know, up until early August. And then after that, I'd just shift the cameras a little bit and start a mock scrape in that same area, just because the deer might've been traveling through there but that mineral like really brought them in front of the camera whereas otherwise they might have been five feet over too far and you never would have seen them so that's where like that summertime baiting was awesome you get three or four deer in the same picture and then once that ends uh you start those scrapes and it kind of does the same thing but to a lesser degree certainly so that's how i started using my trail cameras in the summer once that information became a lot more relevant yeah, man, once I, I understand and I support the baiting ban in Michigan to, um, you know, because of disease concerns, but that's like the biggest downside for me with that is that I miss being able to put mineral out in the summer for camera pictures because that is such a great draw to have some something out like that, like Salt Lake or Trophy Rock or whatever. So good for getting summer pictures without it much, much more difficult. My summer pictures have went down dramatically, but now what I try to do as far as positioning without bait, without a mineral is on a, on the best food source I have on that property at the most popular access point into that pro, into that food source. And then even though bucks aren't working scrapes in the summer, if there's a licking branch, many times I still get deer checking the licking branch. They'll walk past it, stop for a second. Um, so I put licking branches if they're not already, or I position my cameras with a licking branch in the frame on all my summer cameras too. And that is actually helping a little bit um, without the ability to have bait. That's one tiny thing to give me like a 5% better chance to get a summer picture. Um, and then water sources are the one other thing. And I'm guessing you guys are the same way that like your favorite summertime location for a trail camera is on a field edge. And that is where just like a little, a little mineral pile goes a long, long way. You're certainly not pulling in deer from like neighboring properties or anything dramatic like that, but you're pulling in a deer that was maybe going to stand two rows out in the corn or something, but now you're pulling him to the edge of the field and you're getting a picture uh, and you're going to get just way better inventory if you have the ability to do that. 
This episode is brought to you in part by O'Reilly Auto Parts, who are in the business of keeping your car on the road and also keeping you happy. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. I use the O'Reilly by me. It's right in downtown where I live. And the team there is super knowledgeable. When you got questions, they're happy to help you out. It's a great store to go into. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts, they can test your battery for free in or out of your car. And don't ignore your check engine light. Ask for O'Reilly Veriscan today, a free diagnostic service exclusively at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Need your windshield wipers replaced? Brake light fixed? Quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop to get some help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in the store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'Reilly Auto, O-R-E-I-L-L-Y, O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Dan, do you still put corn out in the summer or something? Uh, Mineral. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little bit. Way less than what I used to. Um, I used to put one bucket twice a summer of like Lucky Buck out. Now I'm putting maybe one bucket out per location for the entire summer. So I've kind of cut it, cut it almost in half. And just because like, uh, like you learn in school, a dot does a lot, man, they'll come to that. They'll come to that location again and again and again, even though the actual product is dissolved and deteriorated. What does that mean? In what school did you learn a dot is a lot? (laughs) Dude, when you're using glue, (laughs) <laughs> right. A dot does a lot. And then you, cause you know, when I was a kid, I was just like smashing the glue bottle down and glue would go all over the place. And I'd like just to glue an eyeball on a caterpillar. But now you just do a little dot and it does the same thing. I like that. I'm going to, I'm going to use that in the future. Um, speaking of a little, does a lot sometimes, uh, what about how often you guys are checking those cameras in the summer? I know when I first started running cameras a lot, um, it was so exciting that I was going and checking them every week, even during the summer. Uh, now I've drastically changed that to some cameras. I don't only check once in the summer. Otherwise, usually I do like a minimum of a month. Like I'm mostly putting cameras out, you know, early summer to midsummer, and then I'll check them at the end of the summer. Uh, or where are you there on that, Dan? I think you're, you're moving more that direction, aren't you? Yeah, man. I mean, last year I checked mine one time during the whole summer. Um, I had them up like, uh, first of June, checked them one time in late July, early August. And then another time when I actually take them down off the mineral stations and move them to the hunting locations. 
Yeah. And that that's it. So twice. Yep. Spencer. Um, in the summer, if I had a good access, like say it was on the edge of a bean field and I could park, uh, you know, 400 yards away and walk to the edge of the bean field and never like step foot into any timber or any draws or anything like that, I was doing it quite often. And I would have those mineral piles there. I'd carry with me, you know, a laptop and like a weed eater to knock down the new grow. If the access is easy and available. I was doing it quite often, but some of those that you actually get on like a a travel route or or something leading up into that bean field, like you guys almost not check it the entire summer. Yeah. And I guess it also is different too. If you're, if you're hunting the early opener, I could see if, if I had a September 1st or August 30th opening day in those weeks leading up to the season, I might be a little more interested in checking those cameras or, or repositioning them. Even if I'm, if I'm actually using my summer cameras to try to pattern a deer, um, that's a different story versus just trying to get, you know, what bucks are here and, and, and then kind of move from that point. So different depending on what part of the country you're in. Um, one other thing that kind of is related to this whole trail camera topic of like where you're positioning your summer cameras is also another summer project that I do. And, and you guys probably don't ever do this because you don't have spots um, where you can do habitat work, at least from what I can remember ever hearing from you guys. There are some properties where I can plant food plots now and or have like fields that are open. So something I'm doing in all my fields or food plots is putting in fake scrape trees. In the summer, I think that's worth explaining. You know, I've talked about in the past, but just again, if this is someone listening to this and this stuff's all new to them, this is a really helpful thing. If you have a spot that you're hunting where there's an opening or a food plot or a field or something, and you need again, this is another one of those little little tiny one percent, two percent help type things, a little sweetening up the deal. Basically, it's the same idea I talked about earlier where I'd like to have licking branches or mock scrapes near my tree stands. This is essentially putting a tree in an opening and making a mock scrape underneath it. So you just use post hole diggers, dig a two foot, three foot deep um, hole, put, you know, cut a tree limb down that's, you know, looks like a small tree or cut a small tree plant it in that hole, bury it tight so it's going to be firmly in the ground and make sure you have a couple branches positioned at about deer eye height level where they would naturally want to use that as a licking branch, right? This overhanging branch over a scrape. So I position that in the summer, even though it's August or something, I'll still kick up the ground underneath it. And then I'll make sure that there's a branch or two that's kind of snapped and leaned down over that kicked up dusty area. And right away, usually deer start hitting that even in the summer. And I'm not saying they're scraping underneath it, but they're checking it out. And I know we've talked about this in the past too. Deer are kind of like bass in a lake, right? If you're trying to find bass in a lake, lots of times you're looking for structure, something out there that will draw fish to it. Deer are the same way. If there's an opening and then there's one piece of structure in the middle of that opening, many times they're going to be drawn to that little piece of cover to scent check it, to see what's going on. Um, if there's a scrape there to check that. So anywhere now that I have these openings, I'm planting a mock scrape tree in it because it's going to give me that little chance that it's going to have a buck. Maybe there's a buck passing through the opening. This might get him to move five yards closer to me where I want him to be and to stop at that mock scrape. And then the other thing is that I oftentimes, whenever I do that, I make sure there's a trail camera trained at that spot too. And for the last like four years I've been doing this, those are some of my very best trail camera locations, whether it be summer or fall. It's very good. Um, Once you get to the fall time period, 
if I sneak in there to hunt or something, I will open up that scrape, you know, since they're typically not opening it up in the summer at all. But once you get into October, I'll open it up and then usually they keep it going right from that point. Um, so that's a quick summer project that I'm doing. I'm probably going to be prepping one, two, three, four, five, I don't know, five or six of those this summer. Um, and I'd say the one thing I learned about that is that you don't want to get lazy as far as how deep you bury those. If you go too shallow with them, then bucks oftentimes will rub up on them. They'll hit them. They'll, you know, rake their, their antlers through the limbs. And lots of times they'll get knocked over. So dig them deep, burying them good and tight and uh, make sure it's secure. And, uh, I think you'll be You'll be happy you did that in October or November when you watch a buck walk up to it and start tearing it to shreds. So that's a random summer thing I do. Are there any other random summer things that either one of you guys are doing or we kind of covered most of the projects that you guys are thinking about this time of year? Anything else, Spencer? Well, on that same note, uh, I like to use scrapes in the summer and, and like really early fall. Like most people, I used to think of scrapes as just like, an October thing. They would start then, the deer would hit them then, and that is the only time that you know a scrape is useful. But I found this study a few years ago that Deer and Deer Hunting Magazine covered, and they looked at an enclosed deer population, and they did this over four years. In the first year, they didn't put any scrapes out, um, and on September 26th, only one scrape had been observed that was started or used by those deer. The next year, they started some scrapes in very early September, and by September 26, so the same date as their prior, where only one scrape was opened up, that year there was 32 different scrapes that were opened up either by deer themselves or that the researchers had started and the deer had hit. And when they started that first scrape on September 6th, within 24 hours, they had deer already hitting that scrape. And so it really opened up my eyes that if scrapes are present, deer at the very least are going to visit them and you're going to get a picture of them. So it's something that I don't think is going to help me necessarily kill a deer. But if I'm going into a property deep and I can't like carry mineral on my back and like carry a weed eater to open up all this space, uh, you know, I'll throw some like deer urine in my bag and I'll start a scrape in July or August uh, if it's not a convenient place to to take mineral to. And those deer will visit it. It, it has the same effect of, you know, like pulling in some deer. Like I said, it's not as dramatic as mineral or it's not pulling in deer from other properties that you otherwise wouldn't see, but it will help you get some more pictures and help with inventory. Yeah, I definitely, definitely seen the same thing. What about you, Dan? Any other random summer stuff not really just brownie points man make sure the wife is taken care of so that when she you know it it just it never ceases to amaze me that hunting season is always this big sneak up surprise that happens every year and she knows it's not right it's gonna be the same time every single year but i have to make sure i put the brownie points in so that it kind of softens the blow I hear you. What are what are some examples, Dan? <laughs> oh, just, you know, take her out, make sure she has a couple days, you know, um, throughout the, you know, throughout the summer or whatever with no kids. You know, she has her girls' nights. I'm taking her to Nashville on a trip um, in August. And then, you know, I can ruin all of that in September, October, November. 
And in extreme cases, you do like a California vineyard, right? <laughs> right. That that was an extreme, but it doesn't like for her. It doesn't for me. It was like holy shit! I just spent all this money on this trip. For her, it, it there's no. It's not weighted. It it all equals the same, right? See, that's so, what I was gonna wonder. Was was the payoff for you in proportion to the cost that you put into it? Did you get what you're hoping you're going to get out of that? Now, between me and you, Mark and Spencer, because uh, <laughs> I know my wife doesn't listen to this, uh, I probably would have paid double just so I could go on my Elka. You know what I mean? Like, but I bitch, I bitch about the cost instead. Uh, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah, though no, it, it's it's a good point. Now is a good time to try to make sure you're uh, ahead of the game on as much stuff as possible because we all know that the fall gets a little crazy. So. Hey, I'm going on an elk hunt. Oh, really? Yeah, we talked about it. Okay. <laughs> hey, I'm going on a mule deer hunt. Uh, oh, wait, what? Uh, yeah, we talked about it. Okay, okay. Hey, it's November. I'll see you in two weeks. What? Um, wait, it. when are you going to be home? Okay, uh, well, oh, God. Ah, and then, you know, <laughs> she hasn't divorced me yet. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's, that's fun stuff. It definitely gets trickier with kids. I'm, I'm beginning to understand that. Um, I think maybe we should wrap it up there. There's more stuff, you know, I know that there's a whole lot of archery stuff going on in the summer for people. Hopefully there's a lot of trail camera stuff that we talked about two weeks ago, Dan, people can refer back to that for some of our ideas as far as starting to analyze some annual patterns. This is a good time to be thinking about those things for the future. Um, and then there's a lot of habitat stuff, a lot of like August is going to be a whole lot of food plot time for me and some various habitat projects. Um, but I think we can, those are topics that maybe are our whole episodes on their own. So we'll cover that stuff here in the coming weeks. I got a closing though. Yeah. I got a closing. All right. So running through all my trail cameras throughout the rut, um, in 2018, and checking them and identifying them. Do you remember a buck I named Spencer Newharth? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. So Spencer showed up a lot throughout the farm in 2018. And if he shows back up this year, he will be probably number two on the hit list. And there's a good chance I try to kill you this year, bud. I hope you do because you have to return the favor because I killed you last December. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's true. Lieutenant Dan got uh, <laughs> got hit last year. So hit so hard he dropped his antlers. So yeah. so yeah, Dan, the pressure's on you to return it. Keep yeah. us keep us posted on that. I would love yeah. to, to see this progress throughout the season. And um, Mark the Mark Kenyon buck that was a anticlimactic ending. We never knew what happened. Hey, you got a sheds. I do have a right? sheds. Yeah. Which yeah. is awesome. I mean, no. Yeah. All right, boys. How, how, hold on. How, how big is, uh, Spencer Newhorth in Spencer 2019? New- so I haven't checked trail cameras yet. Right. If he shows back up and let's say he puts on a, on minimum growth, uh, I would say maybe low one sixties as a 11. Wow. Mm. That's, That's cool. a hell of a buck. How old? Uh, let's see this year I'm going to put him in the five year old range. Okay. So if we were to, you know, try to take how you, you judge a buck, his age, his antler class, 
um, and then you kind of apply these these numbers to them. If you were to take the same thing and try to look at a human being and like try to judge a human being as maturity and like what quality <laughs> rack he has. If we looked at the real Spencer Newhart, what kind of maturity level and rack quality would you call <laughs> would you give Spencer? <laughs> so I'm I just envisioned this deer, right? If if we actually took Spencer and morphed him into a deer, it would be <laughs> a deer with like one awesome side. Right. Just like a beautiful buck. He, you see him coming broadside. You're like, oh my God, this buck is awesome. But then he turns and you see he's got this droopy little ball on the other side. Like maybe he was wounded the previous year. What are you saying about Spencer's balls? No, not ball, not his testicles. I'm talking like a, a droopy ball of antler on the other side. Oh, wow. I was going to be much kinder to you, Spencer, than that. That's a, that's a good unique you know anybody yeah. can kill a 10 pointer right i mean that that buck's got character true that's right true well dan dan was a perfect five by five and he was super yeah. wide he ended up scoring 158 inches but by the end of the season he was limping he was skinny you could see his ribs uh so he was in really rough shape yeah by the by the end of the rut i'm guessing that's the same case for you it's just age, age. Yeah. Like, yes. I limp every day now. I was going to say that sounds like Dan after our elk hunt a few years ago. So I think that's a perfect representation. And on that note, uh, I think it's a good place. Oh, to wait a second. Up. We can't, no, we what? can't end there. I'm More? sorry. We can't end. Well, we didn't, we didn't morph Mark Kenyon. Oh, Spencer. What, what does Mark Kenyon look like? Mm. I, you're going to have to tell me. I, I don't recall what the shed. I'm going to have to like. call him like, uh, no, 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 not the, the, the buck I named Mark Canyon. If we're morph morphing author, podcaster, mm. deer hunting, God into a buck, <laughs> if we're going to morph him, we got it. We got to talk about what he looks like too. Cause we've talked about us. Yeah. Just like the, the shortest little whiskers, possible, <laughs> like the, the shortest ones you've ever seen. That's what that deer would have. He's the, he's the, the two-year-old, three-year-old that comes in every time you rattle and then he, he walks away and you rattle again and he blows back in and then you rattle again and he blows back in. Yep. That sounds right. Uh, okay. Yeah, that does sound right. Maybe like a hundred and hundred inches, 105. <laughs> Real. Rookie of the year, man. Rookie of the year. <laughs> <laughs> and on that, on that, we will close. So, and and uh, deceiving, deceivingly tall. Every time I, I see Mark again in person, I'm like, son of a bitch, he's still tall. I always forget. <laughs> Real long neck on that deer. <laughs> I don't know why people always say that, but it's it's a common thing. Everyone's like, oh, wow, you're taller than I expected. Okay. We really need to wrap this one up. So with that... <laughs> Thank you for making the time, Spencer and Dan, and uh, let's shut it down. So that's it. Hope uh, hope you guys uh, enjoyed this one, and uh, hopefully some helpful stuff in between some weird random moments and stories. And I'm very curious if there's any artists out there, if any of you can take the way we've described our three bucks that we would be if anyone can interpret that visually in some cool artwork i would be very interested to see what that looks like uh and and if i see something good i would definitely share that online uh through instagram and facebook that's that's my challenge to any of you artists out there so thank you for listening thanks for your time until next time stay wired talk
I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. 